The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, TJ Reeves. Well, here we go back in for another edition for the final weekend of October of the Big Fight Weekend Preview. I am merely a somewhat capable host. He is our insider, our content partner from his Fight Freaks Unite Substack and BigFightWeekend.com. Hello, Dan Rayfield. Uh, trick or treat. I don't know if you're dressing up this year. I am not. Uh, good to be back with you. We've got a busy, busy weekend to go over. How are things? Things are good. Uh, I think for Halloween this uh, for this year, I'm going to go like a bitter boxing fan. Oh, not really? getting the fight. Not getting the fights that we want. I want to see you like uh, with the Grim Reaper costume, holding up a sign that says "Wherefore art thou, Spence Crawford?" Question mark. Can you make that yes. happen? Get me a selfie if that can. Uh, if that can happen, if that is the case. Hey, thank you for finding us. However you did so, whether it is a social media link, whether it's through Dan's Substack or the Big Fight Weekend website, make sure you're following, make sure you're subscribing. You get great content here. We come your way. Preview mode on Fridays, recap mode off the weekend with the Fight Freaks Unite recap. You get us two times. You can't deal with us just once on a weekend. No, no. You got to get us two times on the weekend. Preview mode, recap mode. And when you're following or subscribing, Rayfield wants me to say... You're going to get a ding. You're going to get a light. You're going to get a vibration. You're going to get a banner, right? Sometimes you get a little notification banner that says, don't forget the bell. Don't forget the bell. Ding. Something happens. You know, we're there usually out by morning time, Friday, usually out late Sunday night into Monday morning on Sunday. But you don't got to worry about any of that. If you're following and subscribing, you'll get it automatically. Play the show. And leave a comment and rate us, please. Yes, uh, and we love that. Go under uh, and five-star review us and say Rayfield is phenomenal. TJ is somewhat awake. Do that on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you can rate us and review us. We love that. More of you are doing that. Let's get to a little news, and then we've got some Jake Paul, Anderson Silva. We've got Vasily Lomachenko back in action. Women's undisputed lightweight title defense for Katie Taylor in England. We've got a bunch. Uh, to get to first though some news uh off the deontay wilder first round ko of robert hellenius that was certainly spectacular pay-per-view numbers not so much dan rayfield uh you wrote about this uh tell us a little bit more as we get the show underway yeah i mean not spectacular but this is in this age of pay-per-view and piracy and discerning customers wanting the best fights uh they put on the pay-per-view. It did about, from my sources, tell me about 75,000 buys. A bit, a little bit more than the previous PBC Fox pay-per-view, which was in September, which was Andy Ruiz against Luis King Kong Ortiz. Uh, what I reported on that one was about 65,000 pay-per-views. Deontay, of course, was coming off two knockout losses, although the fights again, the third fight against Fury, which was the most recent fight that he had last year, was one of the great heavyweight championship fights of all time. I think the biggest issue in terms of the pay-per-views being a little bit less than what I think that they thought it would do uh, on a great day. I don't think they had expectations that it was going to be some gangbusters type of pay-per-view. I do think, though, that the folks that were running the show thought it would be, you know, very low six figures, maybe hit 100,000. The problem that they faced was twofold. Number one, you had, from the standpoint of trying to market a fight, uh, the the diehards maybe know who Hellenius is, but he's not a well-known fighter. And uh, not considered like an elite contender, although a good fighter. And on top of that, they were on a Saturday where they were facing a lot of other boxing competition, not necessarily at the exact time, but people don't necessarily want to watch four shows on the same day. So some people may have tuned into the women's fights earlier in the day from the UK. Obviously, there was the Devin Haney fight uh, in Australia, the rematch that was going on at the same time. Um there, of course, was a full slate of big-time college football. So had a little bit of yep. trouble maybe finding the oxygen uh, to get to get the viewers to that level. And let's be honest, they charged $75. That's was a, going right there. That's a steep, is this, that's a is this yet another indication that you've got to be more conscious of the price point and try to sell more pay-per-views as opposed to a bigger price for less pay-per-views? I think so. I don't – it's like in boxing pay-per-view world – the best pay-per-views suddenly went from like $50 to like $80. And like, there was not really a stop in between. And now pretty much every pay-per-view of that level, the Fox sports pay-per-views, they're like $75 and they actually made a big deal. Remember back when they did the, uh, did a show on new year's day that featured some heavyweight matchups mm-hmm. and whatever. Not, it wasn't a bad card by any means, but it, they couldn't sell that for 75 bucks on new year's day. 
but they actually made a point of their promotion and their advertising and their talking point that it was the special price of only $39.99, I believe it was. So, you know, for $40, I think a lot more people would probably buy Deontay Wilder at that price point. But, you know, again, I'm not telling them how to run their business, but they have to do the balancing act of how much they think they can generate at one price point compared to the other. They obviously have obligations to fighters. Frankly, some of these pay-per-views they do are a way to lose as little money as possible because they're in for a certain amount. And if they, they try to get back as much as they can to defray the cost as they move towards hopefully what will be the big score, the big fight, the big pay-per-view. The problem is I'm not sure what that big fight is. Even if you say it's going to be Deontay Wilder against Andy Ruiz. Yeah, that fight probably does more than 65000 or 75000 but at how much more and at what cost? So, uh, And it's not just PBC. I'm not in any way dumping on PBC. Everybody that does pay-per-views right now has to reassess their situation. I see it coming in terms of what's going to happen November the 26th when uh, they put on the pay-per-view with uh, Regis Progress and Jose Zapata. Uh, by all accounts, ask any boxing fan, go on social media for two seconds. Everybody will tell you that's a really interesting, good fight. And then when they hear that the price point is uh, 60 bucks. Uh, they're like, thanks, but no thanks. Mm. And by the way, uh, this is not uh, breaking news. We're in a tough economic time for most people that are in the middle class uh, or in the upper middle class. You don't have a lot of disposable income, inflation, uh, wh- wh- whatever your feelings are, there is no dispute. We're paying more for groceries. We're paying more for gas. You're paying more for everything. And so you've got to take into account People aren't just going to liberally throw around $75 or $80 for just any fight when you're constantly kicking that price at them. I'm just saying in general terms, um, it seems like you got to adjust. You got to adjust or you're going to get awful numbers. I I will say it. Those are awful numbers. For a Deontay Wilder pay-per-view to not even get 100,000 pay-per-view buys, that's a big disappointment. Well, I mean, look at it like Uh, this, TJ. The fight that he did against King Kong Ortiz, the second mm -hmm. fight, which was a pay-per-view, that did probably in the two two like 225, 250 range. The, the fights he had on pay-per-view against Tyson Fury, the first one, which was uh, before everybody knew about Tyson Fury, frankly, in this country, that did about 300 and something thousand buys. The second fight was the big one, did 850,000 buys there thereabouts. Go. And then the third one was probably like a hair over 600,000. So they sold, you know, Deontay has done now four pay-per-views as a headliner. And granted, this was against his, least known, least regarded opponent, number one. Number two, he was coming off losses and it was on a busy weekend. So again, I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying you add it all up and there's obvious reasons why this was his weakest performance on pay-per-view. And however, that said, for me, I don't care who Deontay Wilder's fighting. I'm, I'm watching the fight, even if it's on pay-per-view, because I find him to be that charismatic, that electrifying to watch, that interesting of a personality. So, uh, you know, I'm, in, I'm one of those 75,000 diehards that will that will buy the pay-per-view. Uh, but I will I say was, this. And you my know, hand is up. I was there too. I, I was there uh, purchasing and watching on pay-per-view as well. So, uh, but we're, we're obviously in the minority if it's not a yes. big time fight. And that's what the point is uh, on that. Okay. A couple more news items. And I promise we're getting to Jake Paul, Anderson Silva, and the other fights in the preview mode for this weekend. Uh, news about Connor Ben midweek. You wrote about this on your Substack. We had it also on bigfightweekend.com as well. Connor Ben, who tested positive for the PED Clomid, which is essentially a fertility drug, mainly used in women. Sometimes, as I described, can be used in men. I would know I took it during fertility treatment with my wife. It is a performance-enhancing testosterone-building drug. All right, so it was in his system. Give us the latest here on what the British Boxing Board of Control has done and the legal maneuvering, the legalese that seems to be going on from Ben and his team. Go ahead, Dan. Well, I mean, they didn't. They they kind of didn't make it totally clear uh, in their statements that they made as far as the British board and Conor Ben. But the upshot is, like you said, he got uh, a positive test for that particular substance. It, it eventually forced the fight with Chris Eubank Jr. to be canceled. Uh, that was supposed to take place on October eighth, and it obviously caused a huge scandal in, in England and UK and among boxing fans around the world. And the BB of C said they were going to investigate because the test he failed was a VADA test. They don't usually recognize VADA. They recognize UCOD, which he had tested for, which were negative. But obviously with the uproar and clearly there being a positive test, they had really no choice but to at least investigate the VADA uh, result because VADA is a reputable organization that they hire to do their testing that is around the world in boxing known as a quality testing uh, service and agency. In any event, so 
he this now remember this is uh coming a week after the fact the bbfc put out a statement on wednesday saying that they had had a hearing on october 21st uh, as it related to connor ben and he relinquished his license he gave up the license in other words he just said here take it it's kind of like uh if i guess if he didn't he probably would have had it revoked or suspended anyway kind of like um uh, I quit. No, you're fired or uh, you're fired. No, I quit type of argument. <laughs> uh, in any event, he doesn't have a license. They claim that they had upheld uh, um, mis misconduct allegations. Connor Ben claims, and, and, and this is in a statement he made. And then I saw some videos that Eddie Hearn did, his promoter from Matrim, saying that whatever the misconduct allegations were, they claim it's not related to the drug test, something else. But they didn't specify. They kind of left a real gray area. The main thing, though, is that Connor Ben presently does not have a boxing license. And he is out there, quote unquote, trying to prove his innocence or, quote unquote, clear his name or do whatever he's got to do. At some point, there'll be a hearing, I think, on the particulars. And, you know, we'll hear what it is. Eddie's now running up the flagpole, the notion of contamination on this on the. Oh, uh, please. I mean, I think he's misusing the word, frankly. I mean, contamination would mean something happened in the lab or, you know, with mm. the sample. And he acknowledges in the videos I watched that if they test the B sample, it's almost certainly going to be the same as the A sample. Uh, the reason why you use the word contamination would be if they crack the A sample and test it and something happens and it's contaminated, now you turn to the B sample and you can say, well, it was contamination. Our B sample is clean. That would be the case, but they have not yet had the B sample tested. He claims that they're going to have the B sample tested. I'll believe that when I see the results. But right now, the, the main thing here is Connor Ben looks guilty. He still has every right to try to, you know, to bring factors to the table that say he didn't do this on purpose. But again, as I've said a thousand times, it's the concept of strict liability, which means whatever the reason it's in your system, you know, if somebody snuck in your bedroom in the middle of the night and shoved it down your throat, it's still in your system and you are responsible. It sucks, but it's the bottom line. Uh, so we'll have to hear what he does and what, what the next step is. But for the time being, uh, Mr. Ben is not going to be fighting. And in the meantime, uh, the folks at Wasserman Boxing who promote Chris Eubank, uh, you know, I have talked to Callie Sauerland, who works with Chris, uh, you know, from Wasserman, and they're right now trying to land him some kind of other significant fight because there's no reason why Chris Eubank should have to sit and, and wait. This fight with Connor Ben is not being rescheduled anytime soon. And uh, Chris Eubank is not the person that uh, was was testing positive for a banned substance. So he should have every right to move on and good luck to him getting a big fight. And again, this was nixed like two days before the fight, not Eubank Jr.'s fault. Good point. I want to move on, but just real quick, I heard Eddie Hearn at length for a few minutes on Talk Sport Midweek, very popular uh, channel and programs that they have. And he talks in circles. Most promoters do. He's talked in circles already because he's out there on the record on video that if you test positive, you do not have any leg to stand on. It's your fault. It's your responsibility. Oh, except, of course, if it's my guy, then now I'm going to defend my guy and go on TV and go on radio. Uh, blah blah blah. One of I mean, those those who don't know, by the way, Talk Sport is like the and I actually right. do a regular segment on mm -hmm. Talk Sport every Monday night, uh, and sometimes a second segment in the week, depending on what is going on. In any event, Talk Sport's the biggest sports radio in, in Britain and has been so, for many years. So he's he's hinting on Talk Sport about a legal challenge, whether they do that or not. Uh, he would not answer about the next move of testing the B sample, uh, etc. Okay, so for whatever that's worth. All right, so one more time to you. Are they going to lower the boom here, the British Boxing Board of Control? Is that your inkling? You've done this for a long time. Are they lowering the boom like a two-year suspension that could be devastating to this part of Conor Ben's career? And is that what the legal challenge may be about to try to stop them from doing that? Just speculate here for me. I mean, I wish I had a, 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 a legitimate bona fide answer. And the answer is I just don't know because – uh, they have to go through their process. We'll see what Connor Ben's uh, representatives bring to the table as far as what their defense is or what they want to do or how they want to proceed. Uh, I, I have no answer, TJ. And, you know, you know me long enough to know that I usually have an opinion about everything in boxing. This is one of those times in terms of what will happen next is really open ended because it's going to depend on on what Connor Ben and his team want to do and, and how that is received by the British board. And so, by the way, it's very open ended at the moment. Sure. From every drug testing expert forever, because I've covered this in sports, not just in boxing everywhere. They all tell you the same thing. There is no such thing as contamination giving a false positive. Can contamination could give you an inconclusive test. You can't tell what's going on. 
so contamination of the system or the testing no now we're splitting hairs if he's saying somehow it's it's tainted where he ingested something that had clomid in it ate something that had clomid in it drank something that's different than the sample being contaminated Correct. and suddenly being positive that's why i that. i mean and again i don't i'm not trying to defend eddie or make excuses I kind of genuinely think he's literally using the word contamination in the wrong context in this issue. Because right. it is like what you said. Now, one other thing, though, I do take issue with what they keep saying, the, the Connor Ben side and Eddie and everybody, is they keep saying, well, it was just trace amounts. It was just a little itty bitty 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 bit of this, Clomid. That is just not accurate. Now, I don't know how much was there. Frankly, I don't think in the, and I've seen many VADA test result sheets in my time mm -hmm. uh, that have been given to me by those involved over the course of years in a variety of different testing situations. It doesn't tell you the amount of the substance. It'll, and I don't know what they measure that in, but let's say it's milligrams, right? It doesn't come back and say he had two milligrams in his system. And you know that that's a little bit of the amount because to be in a big trouble, it's gotta be five milligrams, let's say. That the substance that he tested positive for is not a substance by which you would be disqualified and ruled to have had a positive test at a certain level, but under that level, you're good. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, no, I do. It's a matter it's of just a matter of did you test positive for this illegal substance or not? And right. it's either did. in your system or it's not. It's like yes. you can't be a little bit pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not. Now, there are plenty of substances where you can have. X number of milligrams. I'm using the milligrams because I don't know what the exact measurement system right. is. Take, for example, a, a drug that has been in the news for various drug testing situations over recent years. Clenbuterol is a perfect example. In clenbuterol, you are allowed under WADA code to have a certain amount in your system. When it reaches a certain threshold and goes above that level, now you're in violation and it's deemed a positive drug test a failed drug test. So if you're, and again, I'm making up the milligrams. If you're at five milligrams for clenbuterol, you're okay. If you're at 5.1 or higher, you're in right. violation. So if you got a test back and it was 5.1, you would have what would be deemed a trace amount because it's so small over the threshold. But there is no threshold for Clomid. It's either there or it's not. So and it's notion, not something your body naturally makes. You have true. to take it. You have to have ingested it somehow, some way. So the no, the notion that they want to use the word trace pisses me off because they did it in the in the very first announcement when they acknowledged the positive test. Only after the uh, British newspaper, the Daily Mail, broke the news, you know, a few days before the fight. Right. They keep using the word trace amounts, and I'm here to tell you. It could be a trace amount. It could be 12 fucking gallons. It doesn't matter. It's there and it's not supposed to be. I love the insight of Dan Raphael who goes pissed off on a piss test here on the show. Uh, I love that about you uh, quickly because I want to get to the fight previews. We've got a couple of other news items. One of them is the official announcement of the full card Teofimo Lopez, Jose Pedraza and the undercard December 10th at the garden go. Well, it's the big Heisman trophy night, which uh, top rank. And ESPN love to do a big show in New York to uh, piggyback off the Heisman Trophy, which is also presented in New York. And uh, they've been doing that for the last few years, pretty much since Top Rank and uh, ESPN made their rights agreement back in uh, 2017. So they started doing that, uh, you know, several years ago. And it's always a big show. And Tifima Lopez has been on some of those shows in the past, but this will be the first time he is in the, in the headline fight in the main arena at Madison Square Garden, as opposed to the theater, which is uh, much smaller, uh, that's downstairs. And uh, he's fighting Pedraza. Uh, you know, top rank was uh, looking at Pedraza. They were looking at Arnold Barbosa, which I think was their preference, the undefeated fighter, also a contender. Uh, for whatever reason, Team Lopez was not interested in Barbosa. They decided to take the, the uh, Pedraza fight. So this will be his second fight at 140 pounds. He won the fight uh, earlier this year against Pedro Campa, his first fight after losing the title in that fantastic fight uh, at lightweight uh, against George Cambosis in November. And uh, Tifimo was, uh, you know, on a mission, he says, to get back. He calls it the take back and because it used to be the takeover. Uh, he, if he can pocket another victory here against Pedraza, he gets to move a chance uh, closer to fighting for a 140-pound title. So they have this as the main event, and they are, you know, I can't say it's a loaded card in terms of uh, super uh, competitive, high-interest fights, but what it does have is it has, it's a four-fight TV card. 
And besides Tiafima Lopez, who of course is, and I, I consider kind of must-see TV, they have literally the company's uh, three best prospects on the other TV fights. Now, I don't say this lightly. In my opinion, top rank by far is the deepest company when it comes to prospects. They have so much talent in the, in, among the younger fighters. It's ridiculous. They've got tons and tons of quality young fighters that come out of the amateurs that they're building at this point. It's many, many good prospects, but definitely the best in the business right now. But their three best are all going to be featured on this show. One of them is the lightweight Keyshawn Davis, who was the uh, 2020 Tokyo Olympic silver medal winner. He's on the show uh, in an eight-rounder. You have um, Xander Zayas, the, the junior middleweight who signed at age 17, who's now barely 20, uh, a Puerto Rican who lives in Florida, who someday, I guarantee you, will headline at Madison Square Garden on the Puerto Rican Day Parade weekend. He is a, a rising talent and growing fan base, a, a really tremendous fighter on the card also, and in the co-feature in a heavyweight fight is uh, the number one heavyweight prospect, probably, if not in all of boxing, certainly in the United States, is uh, Jared Big Baby Anderson, undefeated, 12-0 with 12 knockouts. Uh, you, you talk to Tyson Fury, the heavyweight champ, he'll tell you uh, all kinds of great things about Jared Anderson. They have sparred together over his last couple of camps, and uh, he's highly regarded and uh, looks like a real serious uh, up-and-coming future star. Anyway, he's taking a good little step up. He's fighting Jerry Forrest, who is uh, – you know, I, I, he's probably a step above a journeyman, but he's 0-2-2 and in his last four. But the, they're all been against quality guys, and the two draws against Zhang Zalai and Michael Hunter are both very questionable. Uh, certainly the Hunter fight, everybody that I know feels like he was ripped off. Anyway, that's the card. You have a, you're going to look back and get a year from now, so I can't believe all four of those guys are on sure. the same show because the three uh, prospects are probably all going to eventually headline their own show. So that'll be a, a kind of a festive occasion at the Garden. And uh, – and hopefully we get a good fight in the main event. Pedraza always comes with his best effort. He gave Lomachenko a tough fight a few years ago. He's been a world champion in two weight classes. Um, you know, he's, he's a good fighter. He's coming off the draw with Richard Comey, but that was a hell of a fight. Uh, they couldn't have made the Comey-Tiafimo fight because he had already blitzed Comey for the title a few years ago. And that just was would not be a credible fight, frankly, the way he just destroyed him in two rounds. So Agreed. Pedraza gets the assignment, and there we go. That's your main event. All right, everybody, I want to welcome to the podcast – you know him, Jake Paul. He's got a big fight Saturday night. He's taking on the legendary MMA fighter turned boxer, Anderson Silva. It's the Showtime pay-per-view main event from Glendale, Arizona. Jake Paul, welcome. I appreciate you doing this. 100%, man. Good to be chatting with you. Thank you. Uh, I'll start off with this. Uh, we all know the story. You had Tommy Fury pull out on you twice. You had the situation with Hasim Rockman Jr., who lied about his weight. That fight went down the tubes. And I know this was at a time where you were trying to sort of, I guess, appease some of those who wanted to see you fight a full-time boxer. How disappointed are you that you have still not been able to do that? I'm uh, pretty disappointed, you know, mostly because they just wasted my time and, and, you know, my money and Showtime's money, most valuable promotion money. The list goes on. So they're just unprofessional people. Um, and, and it just sucks. And I wanted to check that off the box, like off the list. Professional boxer has been the number one criticism. I've really tried, guys. So anyone listening, I've really fucking tried. Right. Uh, and I'm going to continue to try uh, at some point. But for now, it's Anderson Silva, and he, like, he's a better boxer than both of them. Um, so, it, so it's a tougher challenge. It's a bigger fight than than both those names. Uh, so everything happens for a reason. I believe that's why we're here today. Well, I was going to say now you have Silva who has legitimate boxing experience. He has the victory against Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. and some other fights and has been taking it pretty seriously for the last couple of years. But he's a legend in MMA. So I wonder, what was it about him that made you decide to go after a fight with him instead of anybody else you could have maybe fought against? I mean, I've always had him on the hit list uh, since pretty much day one. Um, and when all of my opponents in the professional boxing world pulled out, um, he made perfect sense. He called him up right away. He expressed interest, and you know, a couple of weeks later, we had a fight. So, me, I'm the type of guy that likes to get shit done. I don't like all this typical, you know, Crawford, Spence, Garcia, Davis, Fury, <laughs> Joshua shit. Like, I can't do that. I, I gotta get shit done. I'm a Capricorn. I show up, I fuck shit up, and I move on to the next thing. Understood. So, I have a long list of names, and they're all going to get it as soon as we can get these contracts signed. Because, look, bro, I'm sparring anyways. I, that's what I don't get about these fighters. Like, you're training, you're jogging, you're jumping rope. You don't get paid for that. Fucking fight. So there's a lot of people that love and respect you, like what you're doing in boxing. I have big respect. 
Others think you're bad for the sport. Somehow you're taking away the spotlight from so-called quote-unquote real fighters. Why do you think you're such a polarizing figure when all you're doing is trying to do your best and fight your fights? And obviously there's a lot of fans that like seeing that. They bring in uh, you know, the pay-per-view numbers and go to your fight. So wh why are you so polarizing? Haters, man, haters. Uh, there's people that will always choose to dislike you. You know, if I found a cure for cancer, uh, they would still hate me. Um, <laughs> and that's the way it is with, with everyone in, in life. It's not just me. Um, so those people will always be there. If I'm walking on water, they'll say, Jake Paul doesn't know how to swim. So they're always going to have these things to say. Uh, and that's just the way it is. But the legends have shown love. People like yourself have shown love, and they see what I'm doing. And all I'm trying to do is bring a spotlight to people like Amanda Serrano or people like Ashton Sill, young prospect, on the rise, like shining the light on them, shining the light on David Benavidez. I don't even manage him. I talk about him more than any of his promoters do. Like, <laughs> so, you know, I'm just trying to grow the sport, man. All right, so you're going to try to grow the sport. You're going into your sixth professional fight with Silva. And I wonder, are you in – and you have a hit list, as you mentioned – are you in boxing for the long haul, or, or might we see you follow your brother Logan Paul to WWE and try your hand at professional wrestling? I'm in boxing for the long haul. I'll, I'll always be in the sport. I love the sport. I'll always be a promoter. Um, and, yeah, I'm going to fight for, for as long as I feel good. Uh, you know, maybe after that, for sure. I, I, I think the WWE would be a a really fun entity to be a part of. Um, and maybe maybe Logan and I can be a, a tag team over there. Tag team champions, exactly. All right, I know our time is short. I'm going to finish up with the last question. So my nine-year-old son is a huge fan of watching reruns of Bizardvark on the Disney Channel. <laughs> so you obviously have your experience acting in that very popular children's program. Now you're a professional yeah. boxer. And I wonder, he said to me, ask... Him, which is more fun, acting on the TV show or being a boxer? Acting on a TV show is definitely more fun. Boxing isn't something that I would classify as fun all of the time. Um, it's the hardest sport in the world. Uh, but for some reason, my brain is hardwired to take on the toughest challenges. So boxing is way more rewarding, but being an actor is fun, bro. Like You just show up, memorize a couple of words, they pamper you. You get all sorts of nice food all the time, and you just get paid to talk. It's honestly probably the easiest job in the world, unless you're doing some crazy, crazy role where like, you have to transform your body and go into a different character. But for the most part, that's acting. Understood. All right, Jake Paul, thank you very much for taking a few minutes to talk to us about your fight, Anderson Silva, Saturday night on Showtime Pay-Per-View. I wish you nothing but the best of luck. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Now you're uh, son. I said hi. You bet. Appreciate that. Take care. Let's get into it. They're about to hold it. They, uh, as we head into the weekend, we'll have the weigh-in. It's a cruiserweight showdown. Jake Paul is back for the first time this year. The YouTube social media star. When last we saw him, I was there in the arena, the Amelie Arena downtown Tampa, for his uh, one-punch annihilation of Tyron Woodley in the sixth round. Now he fights former MMA. A champion who made 16 title defenses of his MMA uh, uh, UFC world title, Anderson Silva. Silva does have some boxing experience. These guys are hyping it up in the Valley of the Sun uh, in Arizona, Glendale, Arizona. This is right by where the Arizona Cardinals uh, play football. It's in the arena that's now the Diamond Desert Arena, I believe, or the Desert Diamond Arena, whichever they it is. They've changed that. They've renamed you know, they it. They've changed the name of that arena so many times that I've covered fights there in the past. <laughs> and I went back there to cover a fight the next time, and it was a different name. I didn't realize it was the same arena I had covered a fight in years before. And now it's changed again. All right. Yeah, so that's so this is like arena. the fourth name, at least. It's the arena in Glendale. That's where they're going to fight. Showtime pay-per-view. What are your thoughts on this in the preview mode, Dan? And I'll throw something in here as well. I'm fascinated by this fight. I mean, I've never been a Jake Paul hater. I know there's a lot of people out there that that – don't care for that whole thing with the the social media people and the YouTubers and the and the uh, influencers having these professional boxing matches. Um, I find Jake Paul to be an interesting character. Um, I never really knew much about Jake Paul until my son was watching like one of the Disney shows he was on. Yep. 
He said Jake Paul's on the show. I said Jake Paul, the same guy that I that I write about in boxing. Hand so. up. We we watched him on the show. The show was called Bizarre Vark. Yes, exactly. And and by and I'm just gonna say this, and I would playfully <laughs> say it to Jake Paul. Uh, he's a better fighter than he is an actor from that show. Well, I mean, most of what he was doing on that show is like what they've been doing on their YouTube channel, which is crashing into things and blowing things up. But nonetheless, all I know is my, my my son my son is very much a fan of Bizarre Vark. So. When it when it, when so I sort of like when I found out that this was the same guy that my son was watching on this Disney program, I think it was Disney Disney Channel. You are correct. Uh, and then Jake was becoming a professional boxer. I, I, I watched with some interest. I mean, you know, at the beginning, I didn't really know where he was going or what it was. It was just sort of like a a, um, a diversion, let's say, when he had a fight like on the undercard of when they had that exhibition match between Roy Jones and Mike Tyson. That was kind of a big deal, and he scored the viral knockout, you know, the, the knockout that went viral against Nate Robinson, the former NBA player. In any event, look, I, I give Jake Paul, I always have credit for the following. He's brave enough to get in there with a guy with no background in boxing, except for like literally one amateur fight. And even though he wasn't taking on top boxers, he was still taking on other guys who were punching him in the head or trying to do so anyway, mm -hmm. who were also who at, at the very least, even if he didn't have, even if those opponents weren't boxers, they were professional athletes, which Jake was not. So other than his professional debut against Gibb, Robinson was an NBA player. Askren, Ben Askren was an MMA uh, fighter. And then, of course, the two fights with Tyron Woodley. He's been developing. Again, I'm not sitting here telling you he's going to be a world champion. I think without question, this is not even up for debate. He's had five pro fights, Jake Paul, right? He tried to fight Tommy Fury twice. We know what happened there. Fury bailed on him. He tried to fight Hasim Rockman Jr., we know what happened there. He wouldn't make the weight. He bailed on him. Uh, and those are actual boxers, whatever their abilities were. They were undefeated young professionals. So he's tried to fight the boxers. So now he's taken on Silva, who, as you said, has boxing background. He's been actively pursuing boxing in a serious manner for the last few years. He does have a, a legitimate decision victory against Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., who was maybe way past his best day, but was a legit world champion for a period of time right. who grew up in the sport. Um, he did knock out in a boxing match, Tito Ortiz, who like him was a former MMA fighter, but it was a spectacular knockout. And a lot of people view Anderson Silva as like one of the great combat sports athletes in the history of combat sports, certainly within the MMA sphere, maybe the greatest MMA fighter of all time. 16 straight title defenses yes. is 16 straight title defenses. Over and he's a, a good years. athlete, and, and he may be 47 years old or whatever, but he still looks good. He still punches hard. He still, you know, he moved pretty well against Chavez. He obviously scored a sensational knockout against Ortiz. My point is very simple, though. So as a professional, Anderson may be only three and one with two knockouts as a boxer, but that does not tell the story of what his his – mentality is as a fighter what his uh in the reservoirs of his knowledge of of combat sports it's a lot different than a guy that would just look like at three and one so i feel like if you're fighting a jake post five and oh but hasn't really fought anybody at the remote level of andrew silva even including guys like tyron woodley and, and ben Askren, it's a dangerous fight i'm very interested to see what happens they've been respect They've been respectful to each other. I can tell Jake is a little bit more nervous about this one because he hasn't had anything bad to say about Silva. You know, he 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 did the trash talk against other other guys. He's not saying anything negative about Anderson Silva, who's a bad boy. And this is a bigger guy than what he has been fighting because Tyron Woodley in the last two fights was blown up to try to make uh, th that weight or be around that weight. Uh, it is interesting, much the same way as Rayfield arrives when he's out in Arizona. Jake Paul showed up <laughs> at the media workout on a horse, no less. I uh, have never, <laughs> I've never ridden a horse in my life. Wait, wait, ever, never been in the saddle. Ever. Maybe when I was a kid, like on a pony ride, maybe, but okay, I never rode, never rode a horse. Right, just, my, my, the closest I got to riding a horse <laughs> was maybe watching like episodes of Bonanza when I was a kid. Okay. Uh, but in any event, I tell you how old I am watching yes, episodes of Bonanza? and Gunsmoke. We both know this. Uh, the, the kids today have no idea what we're talking about. Uh, in any event, they're hyping it. It's in Arizona. It is a Showtime pay-per-view coming for Saturday night. The odds are fairly even right now on the BetUS line. <laughs> we'll be on the BetUS show Friday, 1 Eastern time. Free plug for that, making predictions. Jake Paul, minus 200, 2 to 1. Silva, plus 165. It's a 10-round fight. And the no, over no. under 10 or 8. Eight-round eight fight. Eight-round yeah. fight over under six and a half rounds for what it's worth. So you and I will make predictions on what we think will happen. Uh, and you wonder, I mean, this is much the same way as the Woodley fight where he survived the first fight and made and made it to the distance, but he didn't survive the second fight from that atom bomb right hand, as I like to call him. 
we'll see if Silva can take that punch. And if he can, then we're going to find out some things about Jake Paul. Just real quick, one more time. I'm really interested in this fight. What can I tell you? I mean, people, they get mad at me when I say that, you know, they, I, I can't win. I have half the people call me a boxing purist. How dare you like this fight for me? You're a, you're a boxing purist. Like they're telling me what I am. And then I've got the other people who are like, oh, you know, this is why, 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 uh, you know, I'm very interested in it also. And people are sort of embracing of this and thinking that it's an interesting fight. So I, I kind of can't win, but, uh, all I know is this, I'm interested to watch Anderson Silva against Jake Paul. Is it the biggest fight of all time? Is no. it the fight I'm the most interested in that I've ever been? Absolutely not. But you know what? I'm watching this fight this weekend. I am interested in this fight. Um, if Anderson Silva wins, that's a big deal for his boxing career. He'll probably, he'll definitely get something bigger out of it. If Jake Paul wins, I mean, he, I, I assume at some point he will fight a full-time boxer that doesn't have MMA background. But again, it's not his fault. He hasn't so far. So this is by far, by, by leaps and bounds of a gazillion, the biggest test in his career. Uh, I don't think it's even remotely possible to say anything otherwise. All right. So we'll see how he does in that matchup. Let's stay here for just another moment and talk the top rank ESPN show where the former two division world champion Vasily Lomachenko is back in the ring. Give us the lowdown here as this will headline from New York. So opposite part of the continent, this one in New York will be going on Saturday night as well in and around all the college football, like you were mentioning before and other boxing shows. What about Loma being back? Well, Loma's in the main event on ESPN Plus against Jermaine Ortiz, who's maybe not the most known guy, but if you're a diehard and you follow things closely, he's a very good young fighter, 16-0-1, comes out of uh, Worcester, Massachusetts, and he's been fighting a pretty decent group of guys in, in recent fights. But the big fight that he had that kind of really got him this level of a match was his last fight that took place earlier this year in May was a, a uh, unanimous decision against Jamel Herring the former 130-pound uh, WBO champion that he sent into retirement with that victory. And off of that victory, he now lands the, the assignment against Lomachenko. Now, Lomachenko, if everybody, you know, if you're following along, uh, number one, former pound-for-pound pound number one fighter Lomachenko, won world titles in three weight classes from 126 to 135, was supposed to go to Australia in June and challenge George Cambosis for the unified lightweight title. That deal was done. He gracefully bowed out saying, listen, I'm going to stay in Ukraine where he is from and where his family is. He was, you know, in part of one of the territorial defense battalions as the Russians have invaded that country and are waging right. uh, a war against them. So he stayed there. And after doing that for X number of months, made the determination that it was time to come back to boxing. And so he got this fight lined up because uh, he's now been off. Uh, since uh, December of last year. So he's coming back after a 10-month layoff. Uh, didn't get the shot at the title. Uh, but the upshot for him is if he wins this fight, which he's expected to do so, he's a big favorite, is there's a very strong likelihood that he will fight in the first part of next year, Devin Haney for the undisputed lightweight title. Remember, Devin Haney, when Loma dropped out of the Cambosis fight, Haney, who was the WBC champion, he raised his hand and said, I'll take that fight with George Cambosis. Just give me the same deal you gave to Lomachenko. They made that work. He went to Australia. They unified all the titles. Haney won. He beat him again just a few weeks ago in the rematch to set himself up for this possible Lomachenko fight. So the biggest storyline going into this fight is if Loma wins, he's going to get the shot at the title. Uh, but Ortiz, as a young fighter with a lot of hunger and a lot of desire and an undefeated record, is going to have a lot to say about that. So I'm happy to see Loma back in the ring. He's always been a tremendous fighter as long as he's been around. And uh, we'll see what he can do. He's, I know that people kind of forget, you know, he lost the titles, in uh, his titles in a unification with Tiafima Lopez in a big upset. And people kind of thought, well, maybe Loma's seen better days. He's getting older. He had some injuries. He obviously had a surgery on the shoulder after that loss to uh, Tiafima. But if you're paying attention, when he came back, the two fights he had in 2021 against like real solid opponents in uh, Masayoshi Nakatani, who had given Tiafimo a tough fight, and Richard Comey, who had been a world champion, he destroyed both of them. He yeah. knocked out Nakatani in the ninth round in a completely one-sided fight, and he had Comey on the deck, won basically a shutout. I felt he could have stopped Comey anytime. I feel like he actually held up and kind of felt bad for him. The ref wouldn't stop it and uh, kind of let him survive, but he still won, you know, like 11 rounds to one type of situation or whatever. Um, and now this is that next fight against Ortiz. So he's looked fantastic, Lomachenko, in his previous two fights. Injury-free, uh, and the only thing that has stopped him has been 
his own decision to stay in Ukraine, given the situation going on there. And uh, we'll see what he's got. Totally understandable. And again, a humongous reward of an undisputed shot looming here. If he gets the win, he's an 18 to one favorite. Uh, Rayfield and I will go round and round again. Another plug on the Bet US show on are we taking a knockout or a decision uh, over under, by the way, for that fight is 10 and a half rounds for what it's worth. We'll have more on the Bet US show on what Loma does uh, for that matchup. All right, we need to pause. We're going to come back. We got two more fight cards. Katie Taylor in England, undisputed lightweight title. Speaking of lightweights as well, Jojo Diaz, William Zapata. We'll talk about those fights as the preview show rocks on. We're back on Big Fight Weekend. Now, here's your host, TJ Reeves. We are back in once more. Great to be back with you on the Big Fight Weekend preview. Reminder, whatever happens with all these fight cards, Arizona, New York, uh, England, uh, even San Diego will have the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast off the weekend. Uh, we will find out how much smarter Rayfield is than me on all of his picks that he's making. Get insight, get analysis on the uh, on the fights. That is coming your way right off the weekend, right on this podcast feed. Look forward to it with Fight Freaks Unite. And again, once more, the BetUS gambling preview live, 1 Eastern time, the BetUS platforms, including YouTube. We're going to get into the Katie Taylor fight briefly. The uh, Jojo Diaz Zapata fight briefly in a moment. A couple of other news items just to touch on. I know Bam Rodriguez has vacated his super flyweight or junior bantamweight, whichever you prefer, championship. What's behind that? You wrote about this. This is one of the great up-and-comers out of San, San Antonio, Texas. What's he up to vacating his title? Well, remember, before he won the title earlier in the year against Carlos Padres and then had a, a big knockout in a defense against uh, the two-time champion, Trisiket Sarangvisai, he, he had come up to weight divisions to challenge. And he either, ever since he won the titles, he always had maintained uh, both in, in going into this Trisiket fight and then later when he fought uh, Israel Gonzalez in the co-feature on the Canelo uh, Triple G third fight that took place in September. Um, he said all along, look, I, I, I'm comfortable at this weight, but I feel like I'm young enough and I'm strong enough and I can make that weight comfortably. I want to go down. And, and win other titles before I start to move back up. Because you know, if he catches up in other couple divisions, it makes it even tougher to come back. So he feels like this is the time at his age, uh, still a very young man, uh, only 22 years old, that, and, and, and until he gave up this title, he was the youngest active title holder in the sport of boxing presently, um, that he can go and compete at the very least in the flyweight division. So he vacated the title, and he and his trainer slash manager, Robert Garcia, are this week in San Juan, Puerto Rico, where the WBO is having its annual convention. Uh, I was texting with Robert the other day, which uh, I wrote a little bit about in the piece you mentioned that Tars reporting on this uh, turn of events. They're there to lobby uh, for an opportunity to fight for what will soon become the vacant WBO flyweight title. The WBO flyweight champion Nakatani uh, is is taking a fight at at uh, in the 115 pound weight class uh, on a card that's coming up, and most people expect that he is going to vacate. Uh, that title. So if he does, they're looking to get permission from the WBO to be one of the challengers to fight for uh, what would then be, of course, that vacant belt. So, you know, Nakatani hasn't made the official decision, but he's scheduled on November 1st in Saitama, Japan against Francisco Rodriguez, a former champion in the smaller weight class. And uh, uh, it seems like that's a fair, I don't think they would have just given up the title if they didn't right. really feel like there they was a know chance. something. Would, I agree with yeah. you. They know you, something. You would, you would tend to think so. They, you, guys just don't give up titles just to give up titles. So um, if that's the case, he'll he'll compete in the flyweight division and, and try to win a title there. And then uh, we'll see what happens after that. But that's what's behind that. So he gave up the WBC title and, uh, and now he's looking to fight a, for a flyweight title. And at that same convention, there's something else going on with Emmanuel Navarat. Go ahead. What you got? Well, it's not so much at the convention, but what's happening with Navarrete is, uh, you know, he holds the WBO's featherweight title. Uh, Oscar Valdez is coming off the loss to Shakur Stevenson in what was a WBO-WBC unification at 130 pounds. So right now, top rank, what they're trying to do um, is, and, and Bob, I, I heard about this from various sources, but Bob Arum has come out and also said this is something they're trying to do. So he's backing up those those. Uh, the, what I've been hearing and others have heard is they are in the, in the heavy duty process of putting together a fight targeted for February 3rd, which is a Friday night uh, of making Oscar Valdez against Emmanuel Navarrete at 130 pounds. Navarrete, if you remember when he fought Baez in his last fight, had an awful tough time making the weight, looked really bad in that fight, 
rescued the fight by coming back with a spectacular knockout, but he was getting his ass kicked up until that point. And so he's looking to move up in weight. Valdez is still sitting there at 130, waiting for another good opponent. I mean, look, these are two Mexican warrior type guys. If you make a, a list of great fights on paper, I can't imagine you wouldn't have an Oscar Valdez Navarrete on that list. So the bottom line is they're trying to make that fight. If they get it done, there's a good chance. And it may already have happened by the time this podcast comes out where at the WBO convention, they will approve that match for the vacant WBO title at 130. Because remember, Shakur won that belt from Oscar, or, uh, or def- I take that back, he defended that belt in their unification against Oscar, but he was stripped of both of his titles when he didn't make the weight for the fight that he was supposed to defend uh, against Robson Concesau in his last fight. So those titles, because Shakur beat Concesau, they remained vacant. So this would be the opportunity for... Uh, uh, Navarrete and Valdez to fill that vacancy. And remember one thing, as the featherweight champion of the WBO, their rules are very specific. If you are the champion in that in a weight class and you rise into another weight, you can automatically challenge for that title. So they're trying to get that done. We'll see if Navarrete and that's a great Valdez. fight, DJ. Uh, yeah, I would sign me up. I'm a, I'm title a or no title. That's a anybody, fantastic fight. Anybody that's heard me on this podcast through the years, I loved uh, Navarat bursting on the scene with the knockouts and the frequency of fights. He hasn't fought as much. He's had an injury. I know uh, contractual problems, whatever, but I'm all for it. Get him yeah. in there. Let's see what happens. Remaining few moments here on the podcast, Katie Taylor in action uh, in England, defending her undisputed lightweight championships, not expected to get much of a challenge from Karen Carbajal. In fact, Taylor's a 25 to one betting favorite here in this one. This is in London, Saturday afternoon, U.S. time. I, I guess this is in, in a way stay busy and then look towards a rematch with Amanda Serrano. Unless you think Carbajal can do anything here to maybe disrupt real quick. I mean, she's not that well-known, and I looked at her record. First of all, this is her first fight outside of Argentina. So she's going over to the U.K. to have this fight with Katie, who's obviously going to be the huge crowd favorite and the established longtime champion. She is 19-0. She only has two knockouts, so uh, I don't think Katie Taylor is so much concerned about uh, the big punches or anything along those lines. And as you said, it's you know she seems like a credible opponent based on her record, despite the lack of knockouts. Probably a stay-busy kind of fight, but Katie, you know, if they didn't get the fight with Serrano done, to do a rematch, you know, if anybody deserves to take a little bit of a solid, you know, take a little bit of a breather type fight, have a homecoming, celebrate your glorious victory against Serrano, which was one of the great fights we've seen. Uh, this is that assuming that she's going to look for a bigger fight after this. And, uh, you know, Katie has been an active champion. She's been a credit to boxing and, you know, I have no problem if she wants to take this kind of fight. They'll have a big crowd there. They're doing it in the Wembley arena, which is the arena that's across the street from the big stadium, right. Uh, where they've had plenty of fights over the years. And uh, she'll probably have a nice crowd there. And she's a popular figure. She makes good fights. And uh, good luck to her. And hopefully, if everything uh, goes her way, we will see that rematch with Amanda Serrano uh, in the next fight. You know, who knows if they'll be able to make it, but I hope so. Let's hope that they do. It was fantastic earlier this year at Madison Square Garden. It likely that, that's, would be in that's, the UK, uh, but we'll see. Yeah, and, and just so people know, that's at the zone main event. It'll be on in like the late afternoon, early evening, U.S. East Coast time. So it won't conflict with the, uh, the Jake Paul card or the Lomachenko card. Um, and there you go. And the one final fight that we're talking about before we're done here, and that is Jojo Diaz, the former IBF uh, champion at uh, what? Keep me straight here at 130 pounds. Am I right? Yes. And now he's fighting as a lightweight against William Zapata, who's an up, up and coming unbeaten fighter. This is the golden boy DAZN main event. So if you've got DAZN, right, Dan, keep me straight here. You get both of these fight cards, mm-hmm. Katie Taylor in the afternoon, and then the golden boy show from San Diego later in the night. Give me something on Jojo Diaz and Zapata. Well, it's a tremendous fight, number one. I mean, Diaz, you know, he's been in a lot of fights with, with quality guys. He's got a couple of losses, but he always gives a good effort. Coming off of a of a, so a little bit of a competitive fight against Devin Haney, but he gave a great effort in that fight. Uh, and in terms of William Zapata, he's a guy that, that, that Golden Boy has had for a while that they've built up. He's undefeated. He's uh, an exciting fighter, 26-0 with 23 knockouts, big puncher, Mexican southpaw. Uh, you know that he's going to come to Rumble. And the question is, can he impose himself with that punching power on a Joseph Diaz, who is more of a boxer, not known as a big puncher, but a, a guy with a lot of good pedigree from his days as an Olympian and has been a world champion, as you mentioned, at 130 pounds. Um, unfortunately for him, didn't it wasn't able to keep that belt because he failed to make the weight and was stripped, but he is now fighting as a lightweight. And it's an important fight because, as we've discussed, the lightweight division is so loaded with guys, whether it's, you know, obviously Haney with Undisputed, you got Lomachenko there. You've got lots of other quality uh, fighters in that weight class. 
that a, a victory for either of these guys is going to put them, you know, in a good position. And uh, I frankly think that fight has a chance to maybe be good enough where it might be so good. There'll be people will be asking for a rematch potentially. Sneaky good. Maybe on this one. And Zepeda yeah, has good, been it's more, a good matchup. You know, it's a, uh, Zapata has been more active. He's fought twice this year and uh, Diaz off the layoff since the Haney loss in December. Let's see what it looks like for that matchup. I think that's pretty well a full show with the preview. We once again say to everybody, get more from us on the bet us gambling preview show one Eastern time on Friday. We'll go over these fights as well in the, uh, in the betting preview mode one Eastern time, or you can watch it later on on Friday or Saturday. And again, We've got a recap podcast off of whatever happens coming off the weekend. That's a full show, my friend. Thank you, as always. And we look forward to seeing what will happen. As I keep saying, Jake Paul Anderson Silva's in Arizona. Lomachenko's at Madison Square Garden. Katie Taylor is at the Wembley Arena in London. And then uh, Zapata and Jojo Diaz in San Diego, the Pachanga Arena, right? Uh, Therefore, for that showdown, we got fights all over the place. I got ready to watch them and we're ready to recap them off the weekend. I've got to figure out my, my, as we've discussed in, in the past, we have four shows on Saturday. I got to figure out how I'm going to watch everything. I'm not, the Katie Taylor show will take care of itself. That'll be over pretty much before the other stuff, but then Jake Paul, Loma, Zapata and, and Diaz, it's kind of all kind of, kind of conflict. I think my game plan TJ is my, I'm, I'm really interested in, in seeing what's up with the Jake Paul silver fight. So, Whenever that main event starts, I'm going to make sure I'm watching. I think at that moment, uh, the undercard is it's okay, but it's not my cup of tea. So I'm not too much thinking about the, the undercard. So my main thing is Jake Paul and Silva, but I can't be missing my man Lomachenko and Jermaine Ortiz. So I'm, I'm interested in that. Also, I love the Zapata and Diaz fight. That's probably going to be the one that's going to have to bite the dust that I'll have to watch after the fact that, you know, if the timing works out the way I kind of suspect that it will. I'll watch that probably after the fact or maybe catch that at the very end if I tune in mid-fight, if it lasts, you know, deep into that fight. But my priority is to see Jake Paul, Silva, and certainly Lomachenko, and I'll, and I'll worry about everything else. But I'll, I'll watch the it rest. All. Yep, read up on it, bigfightweekend.com, as well as Dan Substack. Recaps there as well on the web. Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast coming off the weekend. Thank you as always, Dan Rayfield. You bet you're having a good weekend. I hope we get some good fights as always. Let's see what happens there. I am merely TJ Reeves. Thank you for finding us on the Big Fight Weekend preview right here on this podcast feed. Fight Freaks Unite recap coming off the weekend. Bye.